Well, I originally had a message that had been stirred in my heart for quite some time about legacy and heritage. But then, yesterday, Holy Spirit had different plans, which I'm going to preach my favorite message. I end up preaching this more than any other message, and it's what Jesus has done. And I, it's just such an honor to get to talk about Jesus. I was running to the bathroom really quick in between worship because I was like, I gotta go, get back here. As you could tell, it was a little bit of a struggle to get this on. It took me and my parents to get the mic on. But it was, I was running down the hallway and I felt this like urgency. It was this, this urgency and this expectancy of, I gotta get up there so I can tell people about Jesus. And it was, I mean, it was different. It was a little moment, but I could just feel Holy Spirit on it. And it's the greatest honor to talk about Jesus. He's wonderful. He changes everything. He's so real. He's not far. He's so kind. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I've had a lot of great things happen to me. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so I love to get to talk about him. I love to introduce people to Jesus. So let's close our eyes. Jesus, we love you. We honor you in this place. just thank you that you're so kind and you love us so deeply and I pray that hearts would be open today that that we would open up our hearts to your love in a whole new way I pray that your love would go to the deepest places of our hearts today Jesus that we would come to know you in a whole new way after today Jesus Holy Spirit, thank you for moving. Thank you for preparing the way. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see, you'd give us ears to hear, and you'd give us hearts to understand all that you're saying. In your beautiful name, Jesus. It's just fun how Holy Spirit works. Um, I, when I was preparing the set list earlier this week, I didn't know I was preaching originally. Um, and so, well, I had prepared the set list before preaching, and it's just fun how even the last two songs that we sing are literally the gospel. It's like, this is what Jesus has done. This is who he is. So as we're worshiping, I was like, Holy Spirit, you're so good. Thank you that we're literally singing about what you've done. And the message is about to be about all that you've done for us and how much you love us. He cares. He cares about every little detail. And he's so kind. So I'm just going to talk about him. I'm going to read a lot of the Bible because I preach best if I just read the Bible. (laughs) Sorry. I cried, so I got the sniffles. Jared, I'll let you go in like two seconds. I just love when he plays. He's so anointed. I say it every time, but he's so anointed that you just feel the peace and the presence of God. I know. And that's beautiful and it's amazing, but it's because Jared loves Jesus. He spends time with him. And that's what happens when you come to know Jesus. Like when you come to know him, he just oozes off of you because you behold him for who he is. And then when you've tasted how good he is, how kind he is, the joy he brings, the peace he brings, you can't help but want to give it away to people because he changes everything. And so that's why Jerry just spent a lot of time with Jesus. He looks a lot like him, you know, he does. That's why people like to be around Jared. 
they experience, I mean, he's probably one of the kindest people you've ever met, right? Not kind, he is the kindest person you've ever met. But it's because he loves Jesus. He hangs out with the one who is the most kind. All right. I'm going to read a verse you've probably heard so many times. I'm actually going to read a lot of verses you've probably heard so many times. But guess what? The gospel never loses its power. It never loses its power. The word of God is alive. And so it's always breathing life into us. My favorite thing is to, I, the times that I feel the most free, the most alive, is when I'm talking about what Jesus has done. Not when I'm talking about what I need to do, but when I talk about what Jesus has done, there's something in me that feels empowered, that feels full of life. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what it's all about. It's all about everything that Jesus did, not about what we did or what we could do. It's all about Him, His perfect love. He's a perfect Savior. So we're going to talk about Him. All right, John 3, 16. Have you heard of that? For God so loved the world. God what? He loved the world. Is that us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, God, his only begotten son. New living makes it a little different. So what we've normally, most people have heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'll read it out of the new living. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We oftentimes just end right at John three sixteen, right after talking about how much God loved us and the way he shows his love is by sending Jesus. So he sent his son not to judge us, which how many people I've had this mindset of like, oh, Jesus is angry at me. He's only pointing out my sin. Probably a lot of us have had that, but pretty sure red letter, that means it's Jesus speaking. He said, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And when we see Jesus, he's a perfect representation of the father, right? So God sent him to save you because he loves you. He didn't send him to judge you. He sent him to save you because he loves you. Thank you, Jared. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Jesus came to save us, to love us, because he cares so deeply about us. Ephesians wasn't it nice when Jared was playing? I always get a little sad when he stops playing at first, but then we get into the groove and then we're fine. But it's always that kind of like sad moment where you're like, that was nice. Why does it have to go? I've definitely made Jared play through a whole time I was preaching before. And then my mom, it was glorious. It was amazing. He should always do it. And then later we called Donna and we're like, can, can he schedule a massage with you? His arms are cramped up from being in this position. God loved us. Jesus came to save you, not to condemn you, to save you. That's the truth. Ephesians 1, 3 through 8, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he made the world, God loved you and he chose you to be perfect in Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ 
This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. <laughs> this is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave God, God, creator God, God who created every single thing, it gave him pleasure to save you. Ooh! It gave God pleasure to save me, to pick me up from my mess, to clean me up, to choose me, to adopt me, to call me his own. It gave him pleasure. He loves us. It's good news. The gospel is good news. And if you haven't heard it that way, then you haven't heard the truth. It's called good news for a reason. And we have to renew our mind to this truth. Because the enemy comes and he tries to bring shame and condemnation. But if you read in here, it says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the enemy comes, tries to make you feel terrible. Because he knows his reality. But Jesus goes, no, I love you. God goes, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die for you. From the beginning of creation, he goes, I love you. I choose you. I'm going to send my son for you. You're going to be holy and without fault before me. And it gives him pleasure. You give God pleasure. You make God happy. Did you know that you can make God happy? Did you know that he cares so much about you? I mean, my nieces and nephews are perfect. They are. Tanner Roy, you're perfect. My, but my nieces and nephews are perfect. I have some nieces and nephews that are my age, and then I have some that are not my age. And the ones that are not my age, is, I've had a different relationship. So the ones that are not my age, when they come in the door and I see them, and if I see them beelining for me and they go, Auntie, there is something in my heart that bursts. I am like, yes. You know, I, it's pleasure. Like, I, I feel love. There's nothing like it. That's what you do to God. You give God pleasure. He loves you. He delights in you. In Zephaniah, it talks about he actually delights over you with songs. God sings over you. Have you ever held a baby and sang over them? You know, it's a wonderful thing. God sings over you. You're his children. He chose you. He adopted you. You give him great pleasure. He gave him pleasure to save you. He loves being with you. You make God happy. Say that. I make God happy. Do you believe it? Yes. Sometimes it's easier to believe than others. That's why we fill ourselves with this. I have to align my emotions to the truth here. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, it says, well, you know what? We'll just go to verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. There is a reality of that. You know, like there's a moment, like before you know Jesus, you're in sin. It's, it's true. Like we were born that way. But, verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy. What's he rich in? Mercy. What's he rich in? Mercy. Is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Who gave us life? He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us. Yeah, come on, that's good news. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. We're examples of his grace and kindness. We are examples of God's incredible grace and kindness. I feel like that all the time. I just thank the Lord all the time. I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. Like his grace is so wonderful. His kindness is better than I could ever imagine. And I just get to be an example of it. It's nothing I did. There was nothing I did to deserve it. It's all he did. And we get to walk in it because he loves us so much. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you what? When you what? Believed. Believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's a gift. Salvation is the greatest, most beautiful gift. It's not about our works. There's nothing we could do. Nothing we could do to ever earn it. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's mercy. It's good, good news. Romans 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the Romans. Thank you, Lord, for a private Christian education and growing up in kids' church. Got paid Bible bucks to memorize the books of the Bible. It works. I think we actually, if you memorize, like, the Old Testament, we got to go to Fast Lane. I did. It was awesome. Romans 5, verse 6. While we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Woo! While we were what? Helpless. While we were sinners. While we were yet sinners. While we were in the mess. While we were little punks. He came and he died for us. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Was it when you were perfect? Was it when you were behaving well? Was it when you were totally helpless, confused, in the mess, super broken, depressed, full of addiction. Was it then? Yeah, he goes, ooh, I love you. I'm going to send my son for you. I'm going to rescue you. You are mine. I choose you. He says, I choose you to be my son and my daughter. It's good news. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Woo! There is nothing like being a friend of God. Nothing like it. It's incredible. I mean, I, we could go to so many different aspects of what it means to be a friend of God. I've seen miracles, signs, and wonders. We've seen people healed of cancer. That's incredible. We've seen the Lord move in crazy financial ways seeing blind eyes open up, deaf ears open up, which that's all awesome. But I've also experienced his comfort in times of brokenness because he's my friend. I've experienced his wisdom, his counsel, his nearness, and no one can take that away from me. 
no one. It's the greatest thing to be a friend of God. He loves you. He deeply, deeply loves you, and he loves to be with you. Do you like to be with your friends? I do. I love people. I love being with my friends. That's what God says about you. He wants to be your friend. That means he likes to be with you. Earlier it said that you gave him great pleasure, right? He's not saying you're just a dirty, rotten sinner. No, you were a sinner. He saved you. And in Corinthians it says you became a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. It says that we actually are then clothed with Christ. And so for us to think anything less than that is actually discrediting the cross. For me to think anything less of that is actually saying, ah, your blood wasn't good enough for me. Ah, what you did on the cross was so-so. He was unrecognizable. He took on all of our shame, every sin, and he bore it. He died, was resurrected for us so that we could be friends with him, so that we could look like him, so that he could be in us, so that we could be restored to right relationship. That's how much he loves you. And it was nothing that you did. That's why it's good news. You can't boast about it. There's nothing you could do to work it up to where all of a sudden he's like, you're good enough to die for now. It's said that from the beginning he chose you, right? Before he created the world, he chose you, didn't he? Before you were born, he chose you. That proves there's nothing you can do. No works, nothing. He loves you. It's so good. It's the most freeing, life-giving message you'll ever hear in your life that you should hear every day. In fact, if you read the New Testament, most of the time when the churches got corrected is when they tried to add anything to the gospel. Who bewitched you? That's what he says. It's the simplicity of the gospel. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. But that was most of the time. Well, we're going to read some, some really stories about Jesus, too, because I want you to get his nature. I want you to get him. Because so many times he hasn't been represented well, and that's why we've experienced shame and condemnation. Because we're people. You know, we're in process. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of the times people have probably led you astray. He hasn't. He doesn't change. And so we have to be renewed to the truth of who Jesus is, what he says about you, and how much he loves you. So in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm debating if I'm going to go there or if I'm going to go somewhere else. I'll go there for a minute, and then we'll come back. How about that? Can we bounce around in the Bible a bit? Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start at verse 13 because it's fun. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. I like that verse. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. That's what happened to our baptisms up there. That's what you saw. That verse is what you saw. They were buried with Jesus, what he did, raised to resurrection life, raised to newness of life. So it's saying my old self, Hannah, your old self, gone, new life, new creation. So this is the truth over you right now. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So good news, you've got baptized, new life has begun. Hallelujah. 
And all of this is a gift from God. How many times have you heard gift throughout these verses? Have you heard it was a gift? It was a gift. It was a gift. I think he wants us to know that salvation is a gift. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That's why I was running down the hallway like, I can't wait to preach this message. Because I get to reconcile people back to him. This is what he did for me, and I get to tell people what he did for you. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's just good news. It's all right here for you, too. You can read it whenever you want. Let's go to Luke. Well, actually, yep, let's go to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke 15, not 14. Luke 15, verse 1. So th- these are stories about Jesus. So do you want to get to know him more? Do you want to get to know his nature? Perfect place to start. Perfect place. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Other what? Okay. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus, perfect Jesus, was with notorious sinners. Made religious people mad. But the notorious sinners kept coming around him for a reason. So I'm thankful because I grew up in a home with parents who love Jesus with all they have. We were talking about it, and I was like, I'm just so thankful. I mean, we've had people who have murdered people in our kitchen. We've had them, you know, falling out under the power of God, experiencing the love of Jesus. We had someone who was a leader of one of the local gangs living outside of our house for a while. And my parents never treated anyone differently. They treated them all the same. I would have never known at the time that that's who these people were. They obviously protected me. They were wise for anyone being like, what? But it's the truth. Like I've, I've had examples of people who love Jesus and love people. And we've seen lives transformed. Because that's what Jesus does. It's who he is. So Jesus was eating with the notorious sinners of the area. So Jesus began to tell him a story. Just begin to picture this. Like when you read the Bible, try to picture it. So imagine they're eating and think about whoever you would think of as a notorious sinner. Hitler is really easy to always bring up as an example. So imagine Hitler sitting there with Jesus. So Jesus was telling him this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. 
when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There is more joy in heaven over one person who repents and turns around. There's rejoicing in heaven. And another thing that's just so key to catch is that so the example that's being shared here is talking about Jesus and how he goes after the lost. So he'll leave the others. He'll take care of them. He's a perfect shepherd. He takes care of us. He loves all of us. But he will search to find you. He will search. He will search. He'll find you wherever you're at. And when he finds you, he joyfully carries you back home. He doesn't go, ugh, I can't believe you did that again. No, he goes, yes, I found you. Let's go home. Guys, let's throw a party. They're found. They were lost, and now they're found. That's the love he has. And then all of heaven is rejoicing. It's good news. You can just read all of this. Or suppose a woman has... Ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? It's like when you lose your cell phone. You know, sweep that house trying to find that. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What does that look like? You know, even angels are like, woo! They're probably dancing, spinning, having the best time. It's a party. Jesus loves people. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. You know, normally we hear parable of the prodigal son, right? That's how it's always been in my head. In my Bible, in Luke 15, it it says, parable of the lost son. And that really stood out to me. Because in my head, it's always been like, oh, you know, the prodigal son. But just even the wording of it was like the lost son. Like the son was lost. To illustrate the point further, this is verse 11. Linda, you're a rock star. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. Pigs stink. I don't know if you know, pigs are nasty. They taste good, but they stink. Am I right, Miss Cass? They stink. The young man became so hungry that even the pod, the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. That's gross. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. <laughs> oh, I just love this, that while he was off in a distance, so that means that the father was waiting and looking. The father was waiting and looking. He wasn't all of a sudden surprised that he was at the door, right? It says that he was looking off in the distance. That means he was waiting patiently for his son. He was waiting, he was waiting, he was waiting, he was waiting. And there's nothing like when you have someone that you've been waiting for to come home when they come home. And if we can experience that kind of love and emotion, think about what it does for the Father. He created us. He knows every single hair on our head. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows every detail of your life. He cares so much about you. He knows the desires you have, the dreams you have. He knows your quirky personality, and he loves it. And he's just waited for you to come home. So the father is literally waiting and then when he sees his son, it's like oh, he runs to him, grabs him. That's the love that God has for you. That's the love he has. He goes, here's the robe. Here's the ring. Let's party. Let's celebrate. They're home. And I feel like something for your people to know as well is in Isaiah 60. I believe it's Isaiah 60. It talks about the lost Isaiah 60, verse 4, it says, Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. And I wanted people to be encouraged. I felt like they were praying grandmothers who have been waiting, and I feel like the Lord's saying, be on the lookout. Be looking because they're coming home. Everyone's coming home. You've been waiting, be looking. Have the robe ready. Have the ring ready. Have the sandals ready. They're coming home. Everyone is coming home. Okay, I'll hurry up. Sorry. Just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so Jesus joyfully carries you home, right? Put you on his back, joyfully carries you home waiting. He shares all of these stories because he wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to know how much he cares for us. John 8. Verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was taken again at the temple. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Catch that. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. That means it was messy. Like, how embarrassing, shameful would that be? I preached about this not that long ago because it gives quite an example of grace. And we need to get grace. We need to understand it. It's better than you could ever think, dream, or imagine. So this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So she's in front of a crowd. That would literally be like me grabbing... Hannah, it'd be like, you don't have to come up here, honey. But so say I grab Hannah and I bring her up and pray. This is not the case. I'm just giving you an example. Imagine her having to stand up in front of all of you. She was literally just caught in the act of adultery, this shameful moment. And just imagine the shame, everything brought up here. This woman right here was caught in the act of adultery. You're facing all of these people, all looking at you. 
teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They keep demanding an answer. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the first who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He's so much kinder than you know. This is a woman, like I said, was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus, this isn't just a story, it's real. This is him. This is Jesus who came in the flesh to die for us. This happened. He stood there. He met her in her pain, her shame. And he waited and says, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Follow me and I will lead you to life. That was his response. That's who Jesus is. If you've been told anything less than that, it's not the truth. Because all I did was read this. It's who he is. That's his nature. That's how kind he is. That's how much he loves you. He's the perfect shepherd. Psalms 23, it says, you know, he leads you beside still, still waters. He restores your soul. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to lead you into life. He wants to become your life. And when you get this, everything changes. We go to Romans 8. Verse 1. So now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no what? For those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Amen. I'm grabbing a tissue. Hallelujah. Thanks for your patience. I didn't want to sniff much more, and I knew I would have to. Has freed you. He's freed you. Well, let's go down to verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but... The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. That's good news. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. What did he choose you to do? To be, who did he choose you to become like? He chose you in advance to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is pleading for you right now. Jesus is literally sitting at the throne praying for you, making intercession for you. Do you think he cares about you? Do you think he loves you? Did he place the Holy Spirit in you to pray even when you don't know what to pray? And did he just say that he's working everything out for your good if you love him? And did he also just say that Jesus is actually sitting at the throne praying and making intercession for you? I think he cares about you, and I think he wants to make everything work out for your good because it just said it. I think he's really good, really kind, really sets you up for success. I think the gospel is as good as it says. I think that if we add to it, that's when we get in shame and condemnation. When we try to add works, that's when we go right into fear. When we try to add anything, that's when we get in this place of death. But he said, if you follow me, I'll lead you to life, right? This is how good he is. And you need to be reminded of it. The gospel will never lose its power. Jesus is praying for you. In times where you feel like you're being tempted, he actually says that he wouldn't let you go into any temptation that's beyond you, and he's already gone through every temptation. But if you're going through a hard time, why don't you just let yourself know, Jesus is actually praying for me right now. Jesus. Jesus is actually sitting at the throne praying for you. That's pretty empowering. <laughs> it's so good. Whew. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming what? Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love, the Father's love, is revealed through Jesus. Do you think he loves you? After reading all of these, do you think he cares? When you read this, do you think your sin's too big for him? No. What was his response to a woman who was caught in the act of adultery? He didn't, yeah, he said, don't sin anymore. Did he condemn her? No. Did he actually make all of those who were shaming her go away? Yeah. Did he protect her with love? Did he patiently wait with her? Did he treat her with love and dignity because he created her and she was actually his masterpiece? Yeah. That's the love of Jesus. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't condemn you. He said you were worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were the joy set before him. He says, wow, you're mine. That's how much he loves you. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, Now I have seen 
nor ear has heard. Here we go. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's as good as it sounds. It is. It's as good as it sounds. And when you get this, everything changes. John 4, not John 4, not 14. This is what I really feel. I, the last few times I've preached this has ended up being a very similar message because it's the timeless message for one of the gospel. It never loses its power. It never gets old. But I feel like the Lord wants us to get this more than anything else. There's been so much noise that's gone on. And Jesus makes it very clear. He loves you, he loves people, and he paid for people's freedom. So John 4, verse 34, says, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another, and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. That's what we're in. That's what we're in. That we get to gather the harvest you know what, there may, you might be stepping in from California and all of a sudden you're in Idaho and you hadn't been sowing in Idaho, but guess what? You're going to see a harvest, hallelujah. <laughs> you're going to see lots of souls saved and set free. And there's nothing like it. What's your reward? You get to see people stepping into eternal life. It's the greatest. It's the greatest ever. But I want you to get this. Oh, Luke 14 as well. This is huge. Luke 14. Because this is something I believe for our church so dearly. It's for everyone, obviously. It's in the Bible. But this is a big thing for us as a house. Luke 14, verse 12. This is red letter, so it's Jesus talking. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Oh. <laughs> Woo. We were talking about that yesterday, me and Ryan, and we were like, oh, wow. That one, that's a good jab. Don't just invite the ones who are going to invite you back to their house. Invite those who can never repay you because your reward is going to be, where did I just lose my verse? At the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for those who could not repay you. So that means everyone. Was Jesus, notori was Jesus hanging out with the notorious sinners? Did he give them a seat at the table? Do you think that we're called to do that? Let's do this. Here's a visual for you. Ryan, can you come up here for a moment? This is my handsome fiance. <laughs> Isn't he good looking? Okay, so Ryan gets how much Jesus loves him, right? He does. He definitely does. <laughs> I had to. A lot of years of waiting, I had to do it. Okay, so he gets this. He understands what Jesus has done. He can't help but go now, right? Because they were actually commissioned to go. The Bible says to go. So grab one person and bring him up here. So he goes. He preaches the good news. He lets them know how much Jesus loves them. Oh, come on, chatty. Revival is happening. Hallelujah. All right. They both encountered the love of Jesus. Now both go get someone else, please. They're going to go give it away. Who are you going to choose? Woo! Come on. They just stepped into newness of life. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. 
Amazing revival is happening. The love of Jesus is being poured out. And now we're going to go and we're going to get more. Let's go. Everyone get another person. In fact, grab two this time. It was mass revival that was going on. Two people. Yes. Invite them to the table. Invite them to the table. Woo! It's glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. All right, now everyone, let's grab two more people. Ready, set, go. Two more people. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Look, I tell you, everyone is coming home. Everyone is coming home. This is the love Jesus has. This is what happens when people get, when they catch what Jesus has done for them. When you experience the love of Jesus, you can't help but give it away. When you experience the real deal, what Jesus has done, you can't help but give it away. Look what happened by one person. It started with one, didn't it? How quickly did that happen? One person gets changed, and look what happens. This is the power of the gospel. This is good news. There's a seat for everyone. Just take a look. Do we all look different? Are we all God's masterpiece? Yes. Does everyone have a seat at the table? Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. This is good news. This is what Jesus has done. This is what heaven's going to look like. And guess what? It's a party there. How many times did it say it was a party? Quite a few times. See, this right here, what would be happening in heaven is rejoicing, singing, dancing. Angels are rejoicing. This is the gospel. Jared, wherever you are, you can come in now. But I want us to get this. This is what Jesus has paid for. This is what he paid for. Nothing less. Nothing less. Is this, does it kind of move you when you see this? Does that move you? Because I looked and I was like, wow. But that's the beauty of being a part of God's family. We're a part of his family. You belong. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to boast about it. He chose you and he loves you. So you can go ahead. You can be seated now. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's his bride. He loves us. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. You can go ahead and stand up now. Here's the thing. It said we've been given the gift, the ministry of reconciliation. That's what happened. What you saw when the stage was all of a sudden filled with people, that's when we realized that we've been given the gift of reconciliation when we realize that we get to bring people back to God. That's what happened when one person caught it. That gives you a visual of one person catching that we're actually called to love people back to Jesus. Then all of a sudden the whole stage is filled with people. So one, if you love Jesus and you've known his love, look what can happen when you give it away. Two, if you've heard a gospel message that doesn't tell you that Jesus chose you and that he loves you and that he wants to bring you home and that you don't have to do anything to make yourself good enough for him then now's the time to experience a love that will change everything he loves you he wants to heal those I, I, something I feel is that there's always a longing for him you know he's placed eternity in us and so we long to be loved we long for that love and there's you know there's heartbreak and there's disappointment and I just 
I feel the Father's love and compassion for people. And He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants to heal that, those broken hearts that you've had, those times where you felt alone, you felt abandoned, you felt like there was nothing you could do. He wants to reach out. He wants to be the one who sits there until everyone else is gone. And then he says, go and sin no more. Come follow me. I'll lead you into life. Where are your accusers now? And so if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, or if you want a relationship with Jesus, there's never been a better time. And like I said, he's wonderful. He's real. He's changed my life. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And no one can ever take that away from me. And he wants the same for you today. So we're going to pray a prayer together. Jesus, yeah, why don't you say this with me? Jesus, I realize my need for you. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to be lost anymore. I want you. So I repent from all my sin and I turn to your loving arms today. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace today. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I want to walk in the life you have for me. I want to be your friend. I want to be near to you. And so I receive your love and I choose you today to be the Lord of my life. So Jesus, I just thank you right now for your love. I thank you for your love to fill hearts right now. I just thank you for redeeming everything. I thank you that you redeem any and every situation. And I'm going to ask for a prayer team to come up. But Jesus, I thank you for your love. I can't get over this. And I just feel the Lord so wanting people to know more than anything else that he loves you. He loves you. Say, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And if you haven't experienced that love today, we've got a prayer team up here. And these are people who love Jesus and realize how much they love him. Well, realize how much he loves them and they want to give it away. And so I just encourage you to come up and get prayer from one of them. If you've walked in hurt, if you've walked in shame, if you've walked in disappointment, if you feel like you've been too far, if people have told you, oh, you're too far gone, that's not the truth. It's very far from it. He's never been closer. He's never been closer. And he's, he's the father who's faithfully looked, waiting for his son or his daughter to come home. And so if you come up here, these people are gonna pray for you and you're gonna experience the love of God. More than anything else, you're going to experience the love of God. So two things. One, I mean, we're going to do a soft close and we'll dismiss everyone. But what I would really like when we do that, we're going to have a time of ministry. So please, if you aren't being prayed for, I would really ask you to go out in the lobby to have conversations. Because we're going to watch Jesus heal hearts. So that's one. I encourage you as you go out today to remember that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That we get to see, you know, this place filled with people who've encountered the love of Jesus. So you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but I also want you to remember how much Jesus loves you, how good the gospel is, 
the joy of your salvation more than anything else that you would know that Jesus loves you. He paid it all for you and he chooses you. And so Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. I think that we get to experience your love and we get to give it away, God. And so I pray that you would bless people as they go, Lord. You would bless them in their homes. You would bless them with their families. You would bless them in their business. And I pray that they would experience your love in new ways this week, God. I pray that when people sleep, you would speak to them in their dreams. And I just thank you for um, angelic visitations. I thank you for divine encounters, God. I thank you for love encounters. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the people that you've placed before us and your heart for people. So I just thank you for that. And once again, so I'm gonna, we're gonna dismiss you, but I mean it, if you want prayer, like if you have any kind of like inkling of, I want more of the love of God, it's gonna be the safest place and the safest time because these are people who are just gonna love on you. So I bless you in Jesus' name that you would experience his love, how wide, how deep, and how high it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us.